Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Hey there, freedom seekers. Ever wonder about the hero that lives inside of you, ready to conquer the business world? Well, if you've been listening to our show for a while, then you know that we love exploring hero myths and using them to better understand our own heroic journeys. I wanted to make these stories even more actionable for you, so we built a way for you to uncover your business superpowers, avoid potential pitfalls, and see your entrepreneurial journey in a whole new light. Ready to discover your business owner hero type? Check out the show notes or head over to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash quiz to take our free quiz and learn which heroic energy you embody in your business. It only takes a few minutes and it's free. Your heroic journey awaits. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Ben Easter. Today, I'm joined by Spencer Cox, and I'm really excited to talk to Spencer. Uh, We recently hired Spencer because of his brilliant sort of uh, operational mind. The way that you think about business, I think, is really cool. And so I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Think through some of these things. I think some of these principles will be really useful for people out there building a business, wanting to simplify uh, and make their businesses feel easier, simpler, clearer, more straightforward. And so I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, it's been great working together. I definitely love any opportunity to just keep things simple. Like, it, it, there's a pleasure in the simplicity of anything. And um, ultimately, like, everything's got a simple backbone. And as humans, we have a great ability to make things complicated, to overthink things. But, like, ultimately speaking, um, you can really just keep it down to the bone, what exactly it's there for. And, um, you know, you get a simpler, less stressful Guilty. life. I definitely, I feel targeted. I definitely make things complicated. <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, what's your, what's your business, and, uh, and, and how do you think about the service that you provide in the world? Cool. What I do all day is I, I pretty much find, uh, you know, solopreneurs, coaches, consultants. I take a look at how they do things, operations, um, and just see if there's a better way to do it. So ultimately, like I said, there's a really simple way to get things done. If you just think about what's the desired outcome, um, I help apply that to people's companies and make workflows that work for them. Nice. That's awesome. And I really love the way that you kind of break things down. How do you think about like the principles of organizing a business. So businesses tend to get very complicated. Like we said, it's almost like, uh, you know, the closet, uh, you just keep adding things to the closet and then uh, ultimately the closet is so full of shit and then it's like time to organize it. It's like, all right, what, what is, what's load bearing in here? So how do you think about the process of uh, simplifying a business? Like first steps kind of. Totally. So ultimately in its best form, the business exists to empower people to do what they're best at. Um, if you've got a solopreneur business, then you should be doing most of what's in your zone of genius. If you've got multiple people working for you, they should be spending their time doing what they're good at. And the systems and operations that are around that are supposed to facilitate that process. So like super high level, just stick to like, what am I good at? What is my team good at? And how can I maximize their time and my time doing those things? Like super high level, cool, that's how it goes. So um, then you figure out like, what are the core activities in this business? So there's a way that every individual is doing, but like 
what are the most important things we could be doing? It's going to often be like some type of outreach, some type of marketing. But if you just have an amazing fulfillment structure, but like what are the three or four things that we really need to do the most of? And those are the things to really double down on. So what I'm hearing you say is like, first figure out what the people themselves are really good at Mm -hmm. and figure out what the business itself is really good at, like what it's here for. And that's like step one. Yeah, what needs to happen for the yeah. business to succeed? Um, it's usually a small subset yeah. of the activities that actually occur. Like uh, your ability to really make a good tracking sheet for your numbers is important, but it's not like going to make or break it. What's going to make or break it is how good the outreach is, how good the marketing is, how good your fulfillment is. So like core activities overlapped with core competencies of the team. Um, at that point yeah. in time, you're going to have a good understanding of like who's doing what. Um, what I do, I really find, actually, I don't know who else does this, but um, it's a really powerful process. We've been through it, but like list out um, all the activities that have to happen in the business. So there's responding to emails, there's outreach, there's IT stuff, there's recording, there's, mar- there's posting stuff. Like what are all the activities that occur? Um, and give that a name, give it a person who does it and map that to people. And oftentimes I find that the, the founder or the leader of the company, they're doing too much. And you actually look at it in the face and you're like, wait a minute. I'm doing a lot of admin. I'm doing a lot of stuff not in my area of expertise. So first step is ultimately just taking things off your plate um, that you shouldn't be doing. Uh, and that's obviously doesn't yeah. kind of snap it away, but make sure you're doing the right things, right? I really like the, the idea of uh, the, for the essential activities. It's like, um, what are the things that if they went away, the business wouldn't exist anymore? And then like, what are the things that if they went away, nobody would really notice. Maybe you would notice. Maybe somebody would you know, ask a question, perhaps there's a, a book essentialism by Greg McKeown that I think Beautiful. does a really great job of like, what if you just stopped doing these things? I think that's a really interesting, <laughs> uh, concept. And then, um, the other thing that you said that I thought was interesting is like, so we, we list all these things out and the entrepreneurs are doing a ton of stuff. I mean, that's, and that's kind of the nature of the game. When you first starting a business, like you're doing all the things that are in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately there's only like a limited amount of time in the day. And so part of the game that we're playing is like understanding where are, are the highest impacts. And so I think, um, I'd be interested to hear how you think about mapping the, the activities themselves with the strengths of the individual and how, like, do you have like a process, a way of thinking of that or like principles for, for how we map that? Or how do you think about who does what in the business? I really love how you said the word principles there. That cues me into my motivation for where that came from. But um, Ray Dalio's book, Principles, has a really beautiful exercise that he does at his company, Bridgewater Associates, which is every employee uh, has a what's called a player card. And every other employee knows what the person's player card is. And the player card contains what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, what are you good at, what are you bad at. And this isn't like a, oh, okay, like this is a blame thing. It's like, I understand that when I'm speaking to you, I'm going to get really good information when it comes to these things. And I might need to check it when it comes to these things. So you can interface with people better. Um, Once you understand the strengths and weaknesses, you can then attach that to what they should be doing. So um, there's a role aspect to it too. So you're a marketer. Um, You're probably going to be more creative marketing type activities. But if you look at the player card and it's all like, logic, numbers, things like that, you maybe want to alter their activities to more of like a strategy measurement role in the marketing space versus like designing copy, things like that. So it, it's finding a like product market fit with like activity skill fit um, per individual. And that's how to leverage people the best, yourself and others.
Yeah, I, I love that idea. I think this is something that is kind of a vestige of an outdated model of business where you only had a local economy. And so, you know, you would have like whatever, wherever your business was, it had to get everybody that was going to work at the business at a local place. And you could only get the skills and abilities that people had. And then you would have a job title. And then we would just say, well, that job title has these roles and these responsibilities, whether or not you're good at them, whether or not you like them. Like, and we're like trying to find somebody who is good at most of them if you can, but like, that's kind of not the way that people work. And so I think it's really interesting to think of them in a more granular way, like, all right, well, what are the kinds of skills and activities that you're really skilled at? And then what are all the areas, no matter which part of the business they exist in, right, no matter what, like role they theoretically belong to, that those activities exist, and might we be able to like streamline the business that way? I think it's really cool. That way, we're thinking, thinking more like a team. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I, I go to D&D, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons. It's like you have a tank and you have like a rogue and you have like a, yeah, yeah people who have different stat. basic. Yeah, yeah it's like you have different stats, basically, and you don't want the person who's the smartest but the lowest strength on the front line fighting. You know, that like, doesn't make sense. But it's also one way that I like looking at this way is because then it's not like there's there's nothing wrong with being strong but not having a high intelligence stat. There's nothing wrong with having a high intelligence stat, but not being very dexterous. You know what I mean? It's like those, you just have different strengths and abilities. Like, um, you know, uh, the Colby A, I don't know if you're familiar with the Colby A assessment, but they, mm, I haven't, but it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a work type assessment basically. But, um, you know, one of the things is, is quick start. <clears throat> and so they, you know, you're a nine on quick start and that means you're like very risk tolerant and you're like, You'll just jump into things and get started, and not ask a lot of questions, and you're just like you have a you're you're really tolerant of risk. Well, that's yeah. yeah, totally, and that's good in some cases. That's really useful, but the downside of that, which it also has a downside, is that you might miss risks and you might like step into a hole or something like that. And so, to have somebody on the other side of that spectrum is really useful because they're going to help to like balance out that that risk tolerance. Like the or or another category is um, follow through. So it's like the person who's very process oriented versus the person who like looks for all the shortcuts. Again, both are really useful pieces of the puzzle. There's no good or bad. That's uh, one of the things I like about that is when you take it, it's like, congratulations, you got a perfect score on the Colby A. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, so, well, totally. I think it's, fun to think it's easy way. to put a label on something as a bad or good trait, but ultimately it's just related to what you should be focusing on. Um, knowing your weaknesses is totally a superpower. And if you can act in a way that leverages getting around your weaknesses, finding people to replace it, finding people to check it, finding systems to make sure that you're not falling into them. Um, but not trying to like judo throw it into being like, this is my area for opportunity. Like, yeah, work on getting better, but don't pretend like you're good at something that you're not because that's just going to be an uphill battle. Find a way around it. Like I think Dalio has a three um, part system on how to address it. You can either ignore that you're bad at something, which is almost always going to produce a bad outcome because it's just fighting reality. Two, yep. um, you can try to get better at it and then like do it, but once you've improved at it, which is ultimately the best outcome, if you can successfully become good at it. Um, or the right. safest bet, the most consistently good decision is to find a way to accommodate it. People, systems, checks, but the most consistent way to get around your weaknesses is to like work around them. Yeah, work around them, exactly. Because like, if you ask, and most people would intuitively understand this, if you ask, can you be good at everything? Most people would intuitively say, oh, yeah, no, you can't be good at everything. And it's like, all right, cool. So then what are we doing trying to shore up weaknesses? I mean, you can do that. And for me, the, the, the question there to ask is, do you enjoy learning and developing that skill? And if that's the case, 
go for it. Enjoy learning it and developing it, right? And then practice it once you get better at it or like put it into implementation in your business once you're, you know, capable at it, right? But if you don't enjoy learning it and you don't like enjoy the process of becoming good at that skill, whatever it is, find somebody else, find a way to operationalize your business so that it, it doesn't, it's not required. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to write an email if you don't like writing emails. Like if you're not good at writing emails, like emails don't have to be a part of your business. You can find other ways to solve that same problem, you know? Exactly. So. And when other people know it too, like for example, we did the player card exercise and we started working together. I told you, like I'm, I'm going to be able to make you very functional systems to accomplish the goal that you're looking to. There's probably someone better to make it look nice. So I'm going to make this for you. And then you should probably have you, someone else, just look around and how can we make this look more aesthetically pleasing. It'll, you know, I'm confident in my ability to deliver the really nice system, but spending an hour or two making it look good. And you are then able to work around that. And okay, cool. Like, you know, I should, it's good to know that the outcome is going to have a little bit of sprucing up. And that's totally cool because now you know how to work around that. I know how to convey that. Totally. Exactly. Which is for me actually much better than having a really pretty system that's not that functional, which I think is kind of what we had before. I was, we were talking about exactly like what to do with respect to like simplifying the business process. Like I'd like to touch on that point because that is the big one. Um, yeah. So ultimately speaking, um, just to checkpoint, like getting people doing the thing that they're best at and identifying what are the most important activities in a business. Like not all activities are made equal. So find the most important ones, make sure that the right people are doing those and make sure that just generally you're not doing things that you're bad at. And then the final step is you yeah. just have a certain amount of systems that should be there. Like there should be some project management system. There should be some form of documentation. There should be some way to align on strategy and team and who's doing what and just like the overall company goals. Um, there should be some way to like, take notes and just refer back to notes. And then there should be some task reminder system. Like there's just a couple of things that should be in there. And having those systems accessible, known to everyone is really important. So the way that I find it's good to approach those is just to cut down to the bone of like, what's the goal of this? What does it accomplish? We have task management. What do we need to do? I want to know who's doing what at any point in time in my company, but I don't need to know exactly where it's at. I'm like, okay, this is on your plate. Cool. It's going to be done approximately this time. Cool. Um, not to overthink it. And then when you're saying, okay, I've got a problem. I don't know who's doing what in my company. Just look for other people who have similar solutions. Take a look at YouTube, Google it. ChatGPT is actually a great resource. Hey, I'm having trouble understanding who's doing what in my business. Can I have five suggestions on how I might implement that in a simple way? It'll give you a couple of ways to then start the path. So keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah, really practical. Um, I'd like to go back because you because there's an, an aspect of figuring out what actions to take next in the business, what projects and objectives. And you have a really cool way of thinking about this. So mm. um I'd love to hear you kind of riff a little bit on the like the kind of constraints model. Where... Thanks for teeing that one up. Um, so it's called the theory of constraints. I, I, I can't claim this. This is Alex Hamosi's uh, that I learned it from first. Um, but it's pretty much saying that, especially for a service-based business, or for any company, you can think of uh, the theory of constraints as a way of saying that any business will grow up until it hits its largest constraint. And then it will stop until you remove the constraint. So... The interpretation of that and the actionable um, way to interpret that is you must spend your time as a business owner dedicating resources to removing constraints. So if you have an offer that's not optimal, you're selling things for $100, you're not charging enough for your time, and you're spending all your energy on marketing, 
that's not going to help your business. You're still going to be stuck because you haven't fixed the offer yet. If you've got a marketing machine that's working amazingly, but you can't sell the thing, like you have to be focusing the energy on the biggest constraint. Now, how do you, how do you find the constraint? That's the question. But once you've identified it well, and we can talk about that, um, all energy, aside from keeping the ship afloat, you know, still deliver great results for your clients, still keep the lights on, but free time, like working on the business means removing the constraint and just fixing that when it means you don't spend five months fixing your website if you need to figure out how to hire those two people. You don't spend all this time doing not the constraint, remove constraints. And just, it's, it's so one-dimensional. It's remove constraints all the time. Yeah, I, and I, I love that model. And now, um, so people listening might be asking, all right, how do you identify those constraints? Mm-hmm. So is it like a standard model that you always use to kind of sequentially move? Because you were just kind of saying, well, if you don't have a product, if you don't have sales, if you don't have marketing, like yep. then these are your clear constraints. I'm curious, is it always the same or do you think about them in some other ways or some other way that you think about finding constraints? Yeah, so I'll answer the question in two ways. There's the kind of abstract, like in general, how to find the constraint, but there's the cheat sheet, which is like if you're a service-based business, which I think uh, a lot of the audience is, um, it goes in this order. Offer. So you have to have an offer that's high ticket, highly profitable, very valuable, specific audience, specific outcome. Like just have a very good offer that you can charge a lot of money for. And you'll know that if people just keep on buying saying, this is incredible. I need this. I can't afford it maybe, but I need this. Like if you're just getting really good results from people, um, you probably have a good offer. But Uh, Offer first, and then it's marketing. So you need to be having about 10, 15 introductory calls a week is a really good space to be. Uh, More is better, but once you've got 10 or 15, you can move on to other stuff, Um, depending on the offer. But that's kind of, if you're selling something in the 5 to 10. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it depends on what you're selling. And then um, once you're in that place, you want to be closing at about 30%. Um, if you're closing less than 30%, there's a couple levers to pull. Obviously, you get better at sales, but you can lower the price. You can add more value, but you know, 30% is your next benchmark on the sales, assuming you still have got the 10, 15 meetings, assuming your offer is still good. And then it's going to be fulfillment. You're probably going to have to hire some people to fulfill better, to make sure your client success is good, client success manager, support people. Um, then it's going to be a systems and team thing. So cheat sheet, like offer, marketing, sales, fulfillment. And then you're going to know from then on. Um, So that's kind of the general flow. Uh, And you'll see your business grow every single step. Every single constraint you remove, you'll see your business grow because that's how it works. You grow into your next constraint. But um, that's how it works. In terms of like how do you generally find what's the constraint, Um, you want to compare it to industry benchmarks. So what you can do is look online and just say like, what are people approximately doing here that I should be looking at? So you can say, I'm closing at about a 10% rate. You've measured it. It's 10%. Um, Google it. It looks like I should be doing it about 30. Okay, so that's one third of what I should be. That's a big constraint to remove. Um, but if you're at 25, you're probably at a good spot. But then you can say, okay, my profit margins are like 10%. That seems like a constraint. So it's comparing what the industry benchmark standard is to what you're doing and noticing what's the biggest difference as a percentage-wise. So if you're 3x off what you want to be, probably fix that one. Got it. Okay. So look at your, your, so your philosophy is you come in and you'll look at industry standards and then wherever you're missing the mark the most in the Mm -hmm. industry standard is, so that's going to require some sort of measurement. So is Mm -hmm. the first thing that you think about doing in a business measurement of some kind of figuring out some kind of measurement or how do you like how, because 
because that's going to require that you have some information about your business. Totally. You well, measurement's important insofar as you want to be able to um, figure that one out. Once you've identified the constraint, again, um, remove the constraint as quickly as possible. Sometimes measurement is a constraint. Like if you don't know, like, ah, you know, I want to open this, I want to open this new store, but I don't know if I'm going to go broke next month. Like, okay, that feeling means that finance is your constraint and you don't understand Revenue, the cash flow yeah, of your exactly. business and you need to do that. So, um, Generally speaking, measurement is not going to be a constraint, but if you're unable to determine what your largest constraint is, the answer is going to be you need to measure against benchmarks and spending. And, and this doesn't need to be a bigger task than it needs to be. Like You can literally look at your calendar over the last month. It'll take you probably 10 minutes. How many sales calls did I have? How many clients did I close? Divide those numbers and you've got your close rate. Like um, It can be pretty lightweight. You'll also be able to intuit, intuit this as well. Like You can just say, if you're, if you're selling yeah. for something for, you know, less than five grand and you're spending a lot of time doing it. Like if your hourly rates under a hundred bucks an hour, um, it's probably a good indication that you should improve your offer. Um, if you've got less than five, you should probably get more meetings booked. So things like that. I think an effective hourly rate is useful to have uh, for your, for understanding how, how you're using your time, what the value of your time to your business is. But it sounds like what you're saying is that there's like an intuitive way of doing this. Like you could just zoom out on your business. You could say, all right, cool. Well, Am I selling the product? Do I, do I have a product that's selling right now? And mm-hmm. am I having enough calls or fats, you might call it? Because some people aren't, don't sell through sales calls, for example, but they might ha- sell through some sort of funnel. And so like, mm-hmm. then you want to be tracking, like, are we getting enough eyeballs on that funnel? And then is the funnel converting to whatever the next step is? Are, like, are people clicking through it and going to the payment page? And then like, are people actually paying? And then like, are people refunding? You know? And so you can like, look at those things, but it sounds like you can kind of just ask the question, all right, where am I having the biggest blocker to success in the business right now based on whatever our goals are? It's a really good point. And like, thanks for the check. Cause I'm really focused. Like, you know, what I help most people with is like service-based consultancies, coaches. So it's a different model, but yeah, for sure. If you've got a more ads driven, lower ticket offer, that's the theory of constraints definitely still works. Check your numbers. Are people opting into the page? Are people bouncing off the page? Once people are opted in, are they taking the next action? Are they showing up to the call? Are they buying it? Like, Track those numbers instead, obviously. And again, you can compare them to benchmarks because you're not doing a new thing probably. Um, if your opt-in rate's 10%, it should be 30. No, there's your answer. So um, yeah. it's just yeah, different but whether, And whether you're doing... Yeah, exactly. Whether you're selling online or you're selling through sales calls, it's the exact same process. You still have a product. You still have eyeballs that are going on that product that are either converting or not. Then you have your, like, so that's like your sales piece. And then you have marketing. Are we getting enough eyeballs at the rate that we need in order to meet our, whatever our financial goals are, that sort of thing. And then once we've got all that set up and it's running, because money is always the first thing in a business, then we're looking at operations and how do we like streamline things out, smooth it all out and do the same thing with less effort. The whole point of this, again, just to bubble back to like the main goal, this is so that you don't spend time on the wrong thing. Like the point is, You've got limited resources and you want to spend it in the most levered, effective way. And in order to do that, you want to be removing the constraint that's most impacting your business. So that's when I talk to people and they're saying that they want to rebrand, but they've got like one marketing, they got one meeting a week. It's like no one knows about you. Why are you spending energy rebranding? You need to get in front of more people. And that's not going to accomplish that. So um the point being is like you'll make fewer bad decisions on where you spend your time if you focus on what's my biggest constraint. And that's the name. And it's honestly, it, it, it's simple because then you don't need to think, oh my God, is this the right thing to be doing? If you're confident that this is your biggest constraint, you, that voice in your head goes away and you can just say, okay, how am I going to solve this? At what point is it solved? 
what actions have I taken to get rid of it? And for me, that yeah. leaves a, an easier goal target to hit. Totally. And one thing I like about this is it's not just, I mean, it doesn't, no matter what your business goals are, because some people like, I think there's kind of two entrepreneurial paths. One is that they, people want to maybe like scale up a business and, you know, either, you know, create a passive income stream or sell. And then the other is like, people want to have a lifestyle business and there's nothing wrong, right or wrong with either of those. It's like, whatever your goals are, but either way, it's like, you're asking the question, what do I want? And what is the thing that is the the biggest thing that's standing in the way of that right now is it, you know, is it that I don't, I'm not having enough at bats? Is it that I don't, I'm not converting those at bats? Is it that nobody ever converts? And then we probably got a product issue that yeah. that's happening, right? Or we haven't figured out our, you know, like what problem we're solving in the world, that sort of thing. So um, really cool. But also the, the other cool thing is that you can take this same mindset and apply this operational thinking to literally anything, any aspect of your life, not your business, whatever, you know what I mean? Like whatever you want to do more of, why aren't you doing more of that right now? Like what's getting in the way and, and what's the biggest constraint? How do you remove that constraint? Yeah, that's a really good point. There's, there's really beauty in like if you, if, um, if a mental model, which is, you know, that's what we're talking about is a, it's a mental model that we're applying. Um, when there's truth to it, when it's good, um, you can usually apply it in a lot more ways than initially like at face value. So yeah, like it's really fun to be able to apply these like wide uh, things that you originally do with business, but it works with relationships, it works with friends, it works with just like overall getting what you want. Um, it's fun to have help in making the monkey mind more focused and just around a framework that's going to get you to the answer better. Like the whole point is um, it's easy to make bad decisions and the more good decisions you make, the more you're going to get what you want, like no matter what that is. And that doesn't limit to business. Um, if you make better decisions on how to interact with your partner, you're going to have a better relationship. If you make better decisions on how to um, uh, keep healthy, you're going to, you know, you're going to get there. So make good decisions and do that through um, helping your mind out. Yeah, I love that. Uh, all right. So you mentioned mental models. I want to get to some of these because I think this is a really interesting framework. You shared a few of them. So like the player card is a mental yep. model. The removing the biggest constraint is a mental model. Do you have some other favorite mental models for people who are wanting to kind of simplify or uh, get strategic in their business? Yeah. So business-wise, um, definitely one that I use quite a lot that I, I find most people don't think through is something I call contribution categories. So through the mental model states, um, there are six ways to contribute to your business and um, they carry different pluses and minuses. So there are team activities, there are administrative activities, there are innovation activities, innovation just being delivering your product faster, better, cheaper, more effectively, like product delivery, fulfillment. Um, innovation, um, sales, Innovation sales, marketing team, admin, and um, consulting, and we've got, um, that's six, there's six of them, yeah. So those are the six. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's it, yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, so those are the six of them. However, there's ones that generate profit, so there's marketing, team, and innovation. So those are things that you work on at once, they're one-to-many contributions. So these are like working on the business. Um, those are the ones that actually make your business more valuable, better, it generates you profit. It's, it's what you need to be focusing on as much as you can. Then there's the revenue generators. So those are consulting, coaching, you know, things that you get paid hourly time-wise to do, um, and sales. So that's like delivering value to your business, but it's a one-to-one -one, um, contribution. So those are like working in your business, you might say. Um, needs to happen, you gotta make it get paid, but don't let the working in your business get rid of working on the business. And then finally at the bottom, there's the one to zero activities, admin, like delegate, automate, don't spend your time in admin. You will, this is a cost, it's purely a cost. 
So unless that is your business, which is a perfectly valuable business, um, and then, and then it becomes a consulting activity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If that's what you yeah. do to get paid, then it becomes a consulting activity, and your admin becomes like moving around data. I mean, technically, like goal planning is is somewhat admin and innovation, but like the, the idea is you can put a label on any given activity. You can put one or more labels on it of which type of contribution it is. And this is where time tracking comes in. It's one way to do time tracking, but also just like understanding which where you're spending your time. You want to be spending as much as possible in the profit category. So team, innovation, and marketing. Uh, another caveat there, just right. to uh, saddle up, is for each of those ca categories, there's actually a strategy and an implementation role to it. So um, admin strategy is saying, hey, this, we're going to use this dashboard. I'm going to make this dashboard for you, and I need you to populate it with data once a week. So the implementation is the low-level activity, but the levered activity is actually the strategy piece. So it's cool to be spending your time in strategic administrative roles, but obviously aim for strategy as much as possible and aim for profit generators as much as possible. And that's just going to help you tend towards spending your time better. Again, finite resources, um, infinite opportunities of things to do, Spend your time in strategy, profit generating, contribution categories. And you use the, the ones that are levered, basically. The ones that you take some action and it'll get you a bigger result than the as others. As much as possible in, um, in profit generating yeah. and leverage. Exactly. You've hit it on the head. Um, for example, like bringing someone in. Like if your weakness is like, hey, um, I'm having trouble. Um, I'm spending all my time in admin. A levered activity would be a team activity of finding someone to come in there and then manage the team person. Um, so the person on your team and then you've in a strategy role for the admin because you need to say okay this is what we need to do this is the goals for what you're doing but you're not in the implementation role so stick to strategy pieces stick to leverage um, activities and you're going to find more success yeah awesome that's great so any other mental models before we before we wrap um, honestly it's really yeah. about finding your own blend of them so um, you'll try them on um, Google ChatGPT them what are some what are 10 uh, important mental models try them on um, the Pareto principle is a really common one, 80-20 principle. Like there's diminishing returns to time spent on things. So find a way to get the essence out of it without wasting your time on the final 80%. Yeah. Cost fallacy, which I talk about a lot, which is just, you know, just because you've started something does not mean it's valuable. And um, you have to assess everything you're doing. Like it's hard to do. It's really hard to trick your mind into not doing second cost fallacy. It's fallacy for a reason. For listeners who haven't heard of the sunk cost fallacy, it's basically when you put money into something, we tend to think that it's valuable now just because we've already invested money in it and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's valuable. So it's it's like, oh, well, I already put money in there, so I should keep putting money in there. It's also called good money after bad. So. Ah, that's good. Yeah, good money after bad. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and yeah. this works with resources too, with time, resources, any form of input. But if, like, if you've started working on your website, it's three months overdue, you're 5K in the hole, it's totally cool to shut that one off. It's hard. It's difficult. Like, it's totally <laughs> yeah. understandable that you want to keep on going with it. But assess it right now where you're standing. Is this the best use of my time? Which... By the way, you can answer that. The biggest constraint. This is my biggest constraint. Aha. So um, if it's <laughs> yeah. not your biggest constraint, put it on pause, hold it. It doesn't need to go away, but just don't keep on doing things just because you're doing them. It's a bad way to operate. I love the icebox tag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically, it's, like, it's getting you know, nothing ever has to go away. Archive that shit. It's fine. Focus on your biggest constraint. All right. That's awesome, dude. This was a really great conversation. If people want to get a hold of you, they want help thinking through systematically, uh, 
know, simplifying, operationalizing their business, um, implementing all these things that you're talking about today? How can they get a hold of you? Where's the best place? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me Spencer Cox. You can find me Strategic Spence on Instagram. Um, and if honestly, if you want to have a simpler, more effective business, like just read the greats, read people who are really good at getting things done. Um, getting things done by David Allen's a good book. Um, Building a Second Brain by Tiago Forte is a good book. Um, Naval Ravikant, I listen to a lot. Like just the point is to focus on the simplicity of what you're looking to accomplish, apply mental models, and you'll probably be able to get there as well. Um, like if I can impart anything on everyone listening here, just allow mental models to make your life easier by filtering the world um, and making better decisions. And if you do that, you'll have more, you'll have more freedom, you'll have less stress, you'll get more done, you'll be happier. Um, I'm confident the world will be a better place if more people thought through mental models. Right on, love it. All right, man, well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, for all you listening out there, live your freedom, love your life. Hey there, shifters. If you enjoy the podcast and you've been wanting to take your game to the next level, you might want to hear about our new program. We're calling it The Mindset Gym, and it's a virtual community where we take all the tips, tricks, and strategies, and we put them into practice. Ever notice how when you go to an exercise class, you always seem to push a little harder than when you work out on your own? Well, The Mindset Gym is like a group exercise class for your business. Imagine a community of badass business owners coming together a couple of times a month to work on their mindsets, strategies, and find some business besties. It's all about practicing together. Sound like something you might want to be a part of? Check out the link in the show notes or go to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash the dash mindset dash gym to learn more. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.